Uh, turn in your Bibles uh, this morning uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we're in Matthew chapter 2. And of course, we want to keep the theme of the message regarding the Christmas story. Uh, let me say a quick prayer, if I can, right here. Father, Lord God, thank you for this word that you put on my heart. I pray, Lord, that it will be heard and received and applied to every one of us the way you want it to be, and that we would be better for it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that it's not just another message pertaining to Christmas and all the things. Let it be a life-changing message, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. Anoint me that I may preach it the way you want. And uh, Lord, in the process of proclaiming the word of God, preaching the word of God, I'm going to trust you for salvations, for healings, for, uh, for someone to be called into a, a higher realm of ministry, maybe. Just going to trust you, Lord, for miracles to happen, because your word says that signs and wonders will follow the preaching of your word. So we're standing on that verse as well. Thank you, Lord, uh, and, and anoint me, anoint my lips and my heart and my mind, that I may proclaim this the way you want it to be proclaimed today. And we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, let me, let me start this by saying last week, the message was entitled, Shepherds in the Story. Anyone remember that message? I love when people remember messages that I preach. It's a compliment, you know, people remember. And it's only a week ago anyway. But anyway, the shepherds in the story really, really touched my heart that the Lord has a, a wonderful plan for including the outcast, the struggling, the invisible of our society. They're all invited and welcome and included in the story of Christmas. And how we realize that Christ came for each one of us in our own particular situation that we find ourselves. And so there was one part of that in Luke chapter 2 when the, angels, the angel came and gave the announcement. Then the heavenly host came and they were singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. That one verse really kind of capsulizes the Christian experience. As we serve God, there's glory in heaven. We praise God in the heavens, but there's peace and goodwill on earth. Meaning that Christian people get busy about the things of God. As we worship the Lord in heaven, we're busy on earth proclaiming the birth of Christ and the life of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and his second coming. And so the Christian faith is a giving faith, it's a sharing faith, it's a looking out for somebody faith. And uh, in the process of faith, it glorifies God and helps other people. And in that setting, there we will find the shepherds of our world. Those that are maybe downcast or outcast from the main flow of the society. But I have to tell you something. This message today is a little bit different than that message. Similar, but different. This message is entitled, Magi in the Story. And so we're going to be talking about the Magi today. So Matthew chapter 2. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. I won't read all, uh, all 12 of them. But in verse number 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? 
For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Up to verse number 7. Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, he determined from them what time this star first appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Well, the wise men came. I won't read it, but the wise men came. They followed the star. There was great joy and rejoicing. They brought him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they fell down and worshipped the Christ child. And then they were warned in a dream not to go back the way via Herod, but go back a different way to avoid Herod. So note some differences in the story of the shepherds and the wise men. God came for the shepherds. They were minding their own business in the field at night. The Magi came looking for God. The shepherds had nothing to give. The Magi had a lot to give. The shepherds were Jews. The Magi were from the east. They're probably Persian. We don't know what religion they were, but they weren't Jews. But both the shepherds and the Magi were searching for something because something was missing in their lives and they were unfulfilled and they were seeking to fill that space. Today, we see the value of having the Magi in the story and the implications for us is that, is that this, this is it, that the Magi in the story represent more of America and Western culture than the shepherds do, if you think about it. I always think about things like that, like, oh, they're shepherds, the, you know, the, the ones that are troubled or whatever. But if it weren't for the Magi, there would be no resources to meet the shepherds in our culture or in our community. So I want to talk about that today. I want to clarify some information about the Magi, because we all have information about the Magi. I'm sure we do. I mean, number one is... Um, you know, in verse number one, it doesn't say how many there were. You know, traditionally, we think there's three, but all it says is there were magi, plural, from the east that came to Jerusalem. Uh, tradition says, you know, there were three, not substantiated by the word, by the way, and not even substantiated by church history, but basically substantiated by verse number 11 that there were three gifts involved. So somebody thought along the way, well, there were three gifts. There must have been three people that brought three gifts. But it's just an assumption. Around the year 250 A.D., you may know this, somebody in the church hierarchy named the three wise men. Did you know that? Caspar, Melchior, and Belshazzar. That's not in the Bible. It's not even church history per se. But someone said, we should name these guys and get them in the story. Well, anyway, uh, they probably arrived in a caravan or an entourage. If you could picture, you know, probably, this is all speculation, but probably some camels and donkeys and a lot of people walking with them, going from, it says, from the east. Now, that does not mean China and, and, and uh, India or Pakistan. It means east of Israel. East of Israel is Iran, in Iraq, but specifically Babylon is in Iraq. And so these magi came 
from Babylon all the way to Jerusalem, which is around a 700-mile trip. In those days, it probably took a few months to do that. But the fact that they're from Babylon is significant. Because if you remember, through our study in Daniel a little while ago, uh, Israel was held captive by the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar for 70 years. Israel was devastated. Jerusalem was destroyed. And all the Jews were in the Babylonian captivity. And Daniel was there and Jeremiah was there. And there were magi there at that time. Now this is 600 years prior to the birth of Jesus. So when Daniel is there, there are magi there. And guess what? He's one of the magi. He's one of the wise men used for dream interpretation, used for wisdom and knowledge and advice to the king. Very prominent position. And uh, in that setting, if you remember, Daniel had many prophecies about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And um, so 600 years go by, but that information was kind of permeating in the, the lives of the Magi for 600 years. So they had some knowledge that, you know, probably the 70-week prophecy of Daniel was coming to pass when the, from the rebuilding of Jerusalem with King Artaxerxes until the Messiah comes. There'd be so many years. Well, this was the time. But then the other thing to think about is the time of the visit. Because, I mean, I usually have wise men over there. We usually have wise men in the nativity scene, right? But in reality, they came much later than the shepherds came. We don't know exactly when they came. But verse 1 says Jesus was already born. But in verse 11, it says that they came to the house. They didn't come to the barn or the cave or to the manger. They came to a house. And when they got to the house, they didn't see the babe in the manger. They saw the young child and his mother Mary there. And going a little bit deeper, when the paranoia of King Herod really set in, in verse 16, he had the male children of Bethlehem slaughtered, trying to eliminate this king of the Jews, every child two years and younger. So the idea is that probably... A year and a half or so, two years went by since the birth of Jesus. It's all part of the the Christian narrative in our culture, but it's not all biblical. And it's not all wrong. It's It's not all sinful to think these things, but I just want to go by what the Word of God says. It kind of gives us some deeper understanding of the Word. So let's go through it verse by verse, and then we'll have some application. Verse number one, it says that Jesus was already born in Bethlehem, and King Herod was, uh, Herod was the king of, doesn't say, but he was the king of Judea. And wise men from the east came, or magi came from the east to visit in Jerusalem looking for the king. So King Herod was a Roman appointee in the region of Judea where the Jews lived. The Jews had a tough life because they were living in the Roman Empire. They had their own culture and their own religion, but they were ruled by Roman authorities. And King Herod was considered the king of Judea. But in verse number two, the wise men came asking, inquiring, where is this, uh, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? And uh, at that point, I believe, when you put, put it all together, King Herod began to experience his first bout of serious paranoia. 
because he was the king of Judea. Now there's going to be a king of the Jews. He couldn't stand that. It was threatening. He was insecure, obviously. He had a problem. But it says in verse number 2, they came into Jerusalem saying, where's the king of the Jews? Can you imagine now? And let's say it was two years after the fact. You know, so that means culturally the people there probably were, knew something was going on. I think they probably remembered the story of Mary giving birth. And Simeon and Anna had their prophecies already from Luke chapter 2. And, you know, so now two years down the road, an entourage of people come from the east. They don't look like them. They don't talk like them. They don't, you know, different people. And they're saying, where is this king of the Jews that was born? I think when Herod got wind of that, he really got paranoid, thinking, I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the king of Judea. What's going on here? Another king is being born? And it says in verse number two, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, that one verse is very interesting and there's a lot of speculation as to what, to that, what that means. But remember, the Magi, they, they were learned people. They studied. They studied books of wisdom and knowledge. They had a lot of good things going for them. They, they st- studied astronomy, the working of the stars and the moon and all that. But they also, in Babylon, they also studied astrology, which had some occultic practices as well. But when you study that verse number two, his star, they they saw his star in the east. There's a reference in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17. It's a prophetic word that came to Israel. And it says in that Numbers 24, 17, there will be a star out of Jacob and a scepter out of Israel, indicating there will be a star and a scepter meaning someone royal will be coming through Israel, through the line of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, someone who will be a leader and a Messiah and a king. And these magi in the east, from Daniel's prophecy 600 years before, and whatever happened in between, they were ready for that to happen. They were looking for something to happen. And sure enough, they saw the star and followed the star. Verse number 3 When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Yeah, he was really troubled, all right. He was threatened. And all of Jerusalem with him. So you have to think now, like, can someone put together a movie about this? I think this would be a good story. Maybe it's in The Chosen. I didn't go that far. But (laughs) the Magi are coming. An entourage of people are coming. Picture donkeys and camels in fanfare. That's what I see. They're on a two-month trip, two-and-a-half-month trip. All these people gathered around, and they come into the city of Jerusalem, which wasn't a small city. It was a big city. But all the city was troubled and, and, and aware of what was happening. This was big news. And Herod, the king of Judea, the Roman king of Judea, was troubled in his heart. So, Herod gathers all the chief priests together, all the Jewish, the scribes. And uh, he inquires of them where the Christ was to be born. So this tells me that Herod either did not know or was being sly about it. He's wondering where this Christ child, maybe he knew where the Christ child was born. Two years before, he was in office, so he must have heard about it. 
Maybe not, but I think he probably did. But he's wondering, where's this Christ child to be born? And the, the, thing, the scribes knew immediately. They didn't even think about it. In Bethlehem. And they're quoting the scripture. Verse, verse 6 is from Micah 5.2. Out of you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, will come, though you're small in Israel, one will come from you great and be a leader. And the, the scribes knew exactly where this Christ child, the king of the Jews, would be born. But I always wondered about that because if they knew, and I believe they did, well, obviously they knew. But if they knew two years down the road, I think they knew right at the moment as well. But they never, we never see them at the manger. We never see them with the shepherds. We never see them with others. The only two we see are Simeon and Anna that were waiting for the consolation of Israel. So I guess there were some that were waiting. But the scribes and Pharisees, the main flow of the Jewish uh, hierarchy, they knew, but they didn't, maybe they didn't believe or they didn't expect it now or whatever. But they knew Bethlehem. So verse number 7. Herod, when he secretly called the wise men, Whenever someone does something in secret, you got to take note. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I remember many years ago, you may have heard me say this, but I was at a newly saved, I was at a meeting. I, I didn't know, I thought they were Christians. They were, I found out they were, well, I didn't know what they were at the time. But this guy says to me, I could teach you how to pray in tongues. It'll cost you 25 bucks. But he said, don't tell anybody. And I, I told my friend, I said, man, he said, get out of there. It's a cult. Get out of there. So whatever, I always am a little cautious when people want to be in secret. But anyway, he, he secretly called the wise men and he determined from them when, when the star appeared. Okay. So he was kind of curious about the star. And then he sent them to Bethlehem because, you know, th- that's where the king of the Jews was going to be born. He said to them, go and search carefully for this young child. See, not the babe, but the young child. And when you found him bring, him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Lie. There was no way King Herod was going to come and worship the Christ child. Evidenced by verse 16 when he had all those kids murdered, slaughtered. So verse number 9. When uh, they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened up their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. I I think it would be safe to say that the Magi knew who they were looking for. They brought those gifts. I'll talk about it in a little bit, but the gold was fitting for a king. They didn't even know what city to go to. They just knew in Israel somewhere. But gold is fitting for a king. Frankincense is very interesting. I learned something last week. You know, the high priest would bring in the offering and burn the offering on the altar, like the animal sacrifice. It would smell. And they would burn incense 
to cover the smell. It would be a, a sweeter smell when they put incense over it. So they're, they're bringing frankincense is indicating that this child is a great high priest. He will give his life as a sacrifice, but it'll be a sweet aroma to our father. And they also, they brought him myrrh. Now myrrh is a very interesting uh, oil. When you get into what myrrh is, this is a most highly unusual gift to bring to a baby. And it's probably never been done before or since, but myrrh was an embalming oil. It symbolized death. And so you've got to read into it a little bit, but there's gold for a king, there's frankincense for a high priest, and there's myrrh for a sacrificial lamb. These men, these wise men, knew who they came to see. And then they're warned in a dream to go back a different way. They were obedient to that. So I want to talk to you today about lessons from the Magi. If you missed the intro, last week was the lessons from the shepherd. But today, it's the lessons from the Magi. And the Magi, generally speaking, represent people that are seeking truth. People that are curious, ambitious, learned, educated. They want to know for sure who is and where is God. I was kind of like that, actually. I mean, I always think I was a shepherd because I had these issues. But on the other hand, I was, uh, I was curious about God. I wanted to know God. In fact, my search led me to not only the Way International, had a little stint with Jehovah's Witnesses for a little bit and almost got involved with the, uh, the Unification Church, the uh, Moonies. But I was searching. And God knew I was searching, and he led me to the truth. But these magi represent people that have some knowledge, and, but, but they're, they're, they're like curious about the things of God. They have some knowledge of Old Testament prophecies. They studied the stars. Astrology is fine. Astronomy is not fine. It's occultish, but astronomy is fine. But they were looking for something. And I think the magi represent people in our world that have a lot going for them. See, now just for me to say that is refreshing to my own soul and spirit. I personally sometimes get fixated on those that are down and out and troubled and whatever. And that we have to. But I've said this for years. What about, I don't want to name different professions, but what about people that live around here and have nice homes and have three cars in the park in their, in their driveway. They're, they're not in the gutter. They're not drug addicts. They're not, maybe they're alcoholics. I don't know, but they're functioning. And they're doing the best they can do as far as what they know, we think. Unless it's a deliberate rebellion. But what about them? See, to me, they, the Magi represents people, like, like I say, my own family in a way. Good people. My family's good people. My father always worked. I never saw my father drunk. My mother never had a drink or smoked a cigarette. Good family. But when I was 26 years old, I needed to get saved, no matter how good they were. But we were good people, but we were good people that needed a Savior, if that makes sense. Not everyone who needs a Savior is down on the ground looking up. Maybe, but not everyone. There are many that are functioning, searching, going along life, Trying to find peace. 
Well, this is who, in my mind, the Magi represent. And I'm so glad that the Magi are in the story because I really believe the Magi uh, can, can re- refer to or relate to Western culture. We are definitely uh, involved with academia and education and pursuing higher degrees of uh, learning and so on and so forth. People are looking for the answers. And we know the answers are not in those things. The answer is in Christ. But you can't discard people that are looking. I, I encourage people to look. You know, everyone should be, everyone is looking. But then we get into a whole other thing where maybe some people did look at the, in the church before. Had some negativity happen. So guess what? They're not going there anymore. And so you wonder, why are things like the way they are? A lot of hurt, a lot of confusion. But anyway, I have three things to talk about. Lessons from the Magi. You ready? Here's number one. God is not intimidated by your education, wealth, or prestige. Verses one and two. The fact is, God is the author and provider of these things. And if we have those things, God wants them from us so that he could use us for his glory and his purposes. Those things are not an end in themselves. I I say this all the time. I don't want, I never wanted my kids, I don't want my grandkids to have to go through literal hell on earth to get saved. Hello? Does anyone want that for your kids? I don't want that for my kids, my grandkids. I want my kids to be smart and educated and have purpose and have a desire to do something good in their lives and then get saved too. Why not? Why, why are we fixated on those that are... Uh, and we have to. I'm not saying that, but at the exclusion of others, let's just welcome everyone. There's shepherds in this story, but my goodness, there are magi in this story. That should speak to our hearts in a special way. It's people of all nations, nationalities, generations, uh, educated, people of means, people hungry for the truth. And isn't that just like the Lord to include people like that who are curious in the story? No one is excluded. All are invited. You, You know the scriptures? For instance, Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Luke 15, Jesus associated himself with the tax collectors and the thieves and the sinners, even prostitutes. And Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory. Absolutely. But all sin is not classified by drunkenness, drug addict, homeless, gambler, porn addict. There are sinful conditions, none of that, that are separating people from God. And the fact that the Magi are in this story is reminding me, everybody is a sinner. Whether you're good or bad, it doesn't matter. Everyone has fallen short. Even the most successful person in life has fallen short of the glory of God. They need to get saved. Remember Moses. Moses was the adopted son of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Moses was educated in the finest schools of Egypt, had extreme wealth and influence and power, 
In Acts 7.22, it says of Moses, he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in words and deeds. And guess what? God chose him to be the deliverer for Israel. God chose him, what a great choice, to write the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the history of Israel. So you have to wonder, did God kind of use all that he brought to the table? Absolutely he did that. And he wants to use that in every one of us, church. Your education, your money, your wealth, your prestige, whatever you bring to the table, God wants to use that for his glory. I can remember when I first got saved, finally got my degree from college, took me a while, in human, uh, human services. My job was working at a prison for youthful offenders in North Carolina. But I'll tell you the truth. I never looked at that job as just a job to have a job. To me, and I was maybe saved for four or five years at that point, that job was always a means to touch somebody's heart with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm glad I got a college education. It opened up a door for me. I'm glad I went through all the rigmarole to get into the prison. That was important. But once I got in there, it wasn't about, you know... It wasn't about helping people get jobs and all that stuff, but it was about me sharing my faith. I'm saying, you know what, whatever you have, use it for the glory of God. He made you, he gave you ambition for his glory. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do something great. I always wanted to do great things. Now I want to do great things for God, but that's, that's good to do. It's good to think that way. Think with me here of Paul. It says in Philippians chapter 3, Paul giving his credentials, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, meaning he was legitimately a Jew. He was of the stock of Benjamin, a healthy tribe. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. Now, you don't just get to be a Pharisee. There's study. There's, you know, things you have to do to get to that status. He was educated, wealthy, well-known. He said, regarding zeal, I persecuted the church. I was blameless in the law. And he said, if anyone had a reason to boast, it was me. But he gave it all up. Just like Moses gave it all up that he would follow Christ. But the Lord used what they brought to the table. Do you see that? Paul, uh, he wrote 28% of the New Testament. He founded numerous churches, raised up leaders and pastors, gave instruction to the church that we use today to conduct business in the church. Well, he always respected Moses and Paul as examples of people that were, they were rebellious in their own way, but they were never, they never abandoned their purpose. We never see them homeless. We never see them struggling. We never see them down and out. Whatever they did, they did it all with all their heart. They just needed to be redirected. I think about other people in the Bible This is still under the heading of God is not intimidated. I think of Nicodemus and Joseph, Pharisees in Jesus' day. Educated, smart men that followed Jesus, although secretly. I think of the Roman centurion when Jesus healed his servant. He believed Jesus, a man of prestige. I think of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They owned property. Now, they made a mistake by holding some back and the Lord took them out, but... They were people of means that are included in the story. I think of, uh, I think of Lydia, 
the seller of purple. I think of Priscilla and Aquila, the successful tent makers. I think of uh, Cornelius and his household, the the Roman soldier. The Ethiopian eunuch that was a very successful, powerful man. But God used every one of them in their own way to influence other people. So we read in Matthew 28, 19, Go into all the nations, preach the word, teach, baptize, make disciples. That's got to include the upper echelon, if you could look at it that way, of our society. We see glimpses of that in the, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And we see it here in the USA. Doesn't the upper echelon of our country need Jesus? Think of it, government, law enforcement, teachers, you know what I mean? Uh, and so on. We, so, so somehow, and we as Americans have so much more than most countries of the world. The message is, God is not intimidated. God gave this country wealth. If you've got any wealth, that's a blessing from God. So he's not intimidated by that. He just wants you to use it for his glory and his purposes. I want to stress it again. If you want to, you know, go to college, get an education. Absolutely. Go for it. Get your training done. Be, a, be great at what you do, whatever you do. Whatever profession you're in, do it with all your heart. Be the best you can be. But keep in the back of your mind, you're there for another reason. It's not just to make money. It's not. You're there to influence that realm of the culture that most of us couldn't get to. Are you with me, church? God's not intimidated by your education or your money or your prestige or how popular or unpopular you are. He, he wants your heart. He made you that way. He wants you to use what he gave you for his glory. Here's number two. Lessons from the Magi. <sighs> Faith is our only hope. That's kind of a catchy little phrase, isn't it? Faith is our only hope. Think about it. What's your hope? In verses 9 and 10, they had faith. The more I studied about the Magi, the more I believed, you know, they had faith. And what they, they didn't know everything, but what they knew, they believed 100%. What are we going to believe in? Who are we going to believe in? Uh, in, our, in a country, in a culture, in a time that's progressively divided, progressively digressing, and progressively changing in what I would say odd ways. Bear with me here. You know, can someone define what a woman is? Can someone define when you use a pronoun, a he or a she? Or, or maybe someone can decide what you are. I saw a lady on Facebook, she said she was a cat. Serious. One of my friends said, we should give her some cat food and see how long she's going to be a cat. But that's another story. But we live in a crazy world, church. Down is up, up is down, it's sideways. Everything's crazy. You know. But the Magi, what I'm seeing, they, in spite of what, I mean, could you imagine them telling everybody over in Babylon, we're going to Jerusalem. How far is Jerusalem? 700 miles. 700 miles. Are you crazy? You're taking your camels and your donkeys going over there? Yeah, yeah. We believe what we saw. Wow. They come with their whole entourage. And you're bringing gold over there? 
What if you get robbed? What if something, you're bringing frankincense? That makes no sense. Myrrh? Why, you're afraid you're going to die on your trip? What's going on with that? No, no, we're going there. We're, we're finding the king of the Jews. They had faith regardless of what everyone may have thought about. Church, we need to have faith today. The world around us is crazy. I hate to say it like that. The world around us is very confused. There's so many opinions, too many opinions. And social media, as wonderful as it is in many regards, it causes a lot of confusion. Be careful what you listen to on social media. So they had faith. That number is 2417. The, the star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will arise out of Israel. They believed that. They, they had to have known Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9 about the 70 weeks. And do, doing the mathematics, we did this on Wednesday nights. We figured out, okay, when the, the temple was rebuilt, the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt until the time of Messiah is so many years. They had that down to a science. And they acted on it. They took the trip. What if they got there? Well, a lot of things could have happened. They could have died on the way. When they got there, they could have been persecuted and thrown in jail for causing a ruckus. Or they could have been wrong. They had faith in what they couldn't see. They just knew it in their heart, in their spirit, and they acted on it. They heard of Jeremiah. Daniel and Jeremiah were contemporary. So there were things that Jeremiah said in Babylon when they were captive. Isn't it amazing how God works? God caused that Babylonian captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And at that time, the Magi, of which Daniel was, learned so many things about the coming Messiah. 600 years down the road, they're now acting on it in faith. God honors faith. Faith is expressed in their gifts to the Messiah. Let me go over that again. But they brought the Messiah gold in faith, believing they would find the king of the Jews. They brought him gold that was fitting for a king. They brought him frankincense that was fitting for the high priest to cover the smell of the offering. And they brought the myrrh because he's a sacrificial lamb. They did it all in faith. And that's part of the Christmas story. We don't always think about that. Let me give you some New Testament examples. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Faith, and there's different translations, but mine's New King James. Faith is the realization of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. My way of saying that is, it's knowing that you know that you know, even though you can't see it, you know God's in it, and God's going to provide for you. In verse number 6 of Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those that come to him, they must know that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Does that relate to the Magi? Yeah, they were seeking God. And God definitely rewarded them by finding the Christ child. James 2.17 says, Faith without works is dead. James writes in James 2.18, Some will say, uh, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. See, faith propels us to do something we wouldn't normally do. Like maybe it even is coming to church on a Sunday when everyone else in your little world is saying, what, are you crazy going to church? No, you go to church because you have faith. 
You know, you want to honor God, you want to honor the church, you want to honor, you know, put yourself in a position to hear the word of God. You're acting in faith. But faith will propel you to do things you normally wouldn't do. Faith will keep you from doing other things that you may want to do, but know you shouldn't do. But by faith, you won't do them. Hello? Faith is everything. You could be stripped of everything, but if you have faith, you're going to be okay. I think of a... I, I would raise this question to the church. How, how deep is your faith today? How deep is your faith today? Let me just, just a couple of il- illustrations here. John 9. Jesus had healed a, a blind man. And, uh, and Jesus asked him, Do you believe? To the blind man, do you believe? And the man said, Lord, I believe. And then he began to worship Jesus. So here's the thing. If you say you have faith, do you worship Jesus? I don't mean on Sunday morning per se. I mean in your life. Is your life a worship to the Lord? I believe, yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. The woman at the well, totally saved and delivered, five husbands, the whole thing. What did she do? She went back and told everybody. In that case, faith was propelled into telling others about the Savior she met. So is your faith acting in you so that you will say something to somebody about the Savior that you know and that you serve? Zacchaeus, who came out of the sycamore tree to get a, looking at Jesus, came down and Jesus said, come on down, I want to have, I want to eat with you today. His faith was exemplified by having fellowship with Jesus. He didn't say, I can't be with you, Lord. Everyone's going to make fun of me, maybe, maybe throw me in jail for associating with you. No, his faith brought him into fellowship with Christ. So did you get that? The blind man believed and worshipped Jesus. The woman at the well believed and told others about Jesus. Zacharias uh, believed and had fellowship with Jesus. So here's my point. So many people are out sick today. And we're, those online, we're praying for you. Believe me, we are praying. But will sickness keep us from serving God? This is the problem with the Western church, if I may get on my high horse for one second. I never read in the Bible, never read. In fact, I read the opposite. That Paul, Paul would say, I have everything, but I have nothing. He had lashes on his back, for goodness sakes. Anyone want to go down that road? Stoned, in prison, in shipwreck, hungry, sleepless, worried about everything. That's a man of God fighting the good fight. I never see in the Bible that these New Testament believers would never have a problem or an issue. I see people with a lot of problems and a lot of issues that hold fast to their faith. And God sees them through. How is your faith today? Is sickness rocking your world? I mean, I had my moments this past week. I got so many phone calls. You wouldn't believe how many calls I got. And I I have sympathy. And I'm praying. We have one brother, Billy Kitteridge. And praise the Lord for Billy. Billy had his lung removed a few weeks ago. You know, they got got the cancer. He has no more cancer. He has no more cancer. Great testimony. But listen listen to how the, the enemy, where he had to go back in for something else, while he's in the hospital, he comes down with COVID last week. Can you believe that? How do you get COVID in the hospital? I'm saying, you know what? Smack me again, Satan. I'm ready for you. You're not going to get me. You're not going to discourage me. 
Our brother Bill Larios, Esther's been sick for a year and a half with her throat. Bill has blood clots in his leg. Well, where does that come from? I don't know. But there were so many things. But where's, where's faith? Won't faith see us through those times? Satan would love for us to dwell on those negative things and run away from God, run away from the church, run away from the word, give up on your prayer time. Speaking of which, I hope you're still praying every morning. I hope you're still praying every morning, at least for a little while. Right, Brother Willie? You know, hey, we have to be a people of prayer. And, and I always say this, but, you know, with prayer comes power and anointing. Without prayer, it doesn't mean nothing's going to happen. It means bad things are going to happen. So when bad things happen when you're praying, I always say, well, they would have been worse if I wasn't praying. Are you with me? I want to encourage you, be a people of prayer, regardless of what comes your way. That's a test right there of your faith. All right, let me give you the, the third thing here, the third lesson from the match. So we have... God is not intimidated by our education, our wealth, or our prestige. That's number one. Number two is faith is our only hope. Yeah, what are you going to put your faith in, what your hope in? You're not going to put it in the government, I hope. <laughs> you can't put it in your money anymore. That's not even stable. You know, your faith has to be in God. It has to be in God. Everything else is already passing away. The third thing is this, lessons from the Magi. True worship is only found in Christ. Come on. True worship is only found in Christ. I remember so distinctly the first, I don't know, couple of years of our salvation. When, and I was in a small church in North Carolina. But the times of worship were just incredible. It might have been because I was so new to it. But I remember the presence of God and really worshiping God. And, and you know, I grew up in the church. I, I, know, I know church things. But when you have that personal relationship with God, and you really can worship Him with other believers too, it's helpful. There's a, there's a joy and a peace and a healing that begins to take place that's beyond description. And so anyway, when I think of these magi, think about this. They had money. But that didn't even matter in the long run. Verse number 11, when they saw the young child, they fell down. They saw him, they fell down, they worshipped him, they opened up their treasure and gave him gifts. Five things they did. When they saw Christ, their money didn't really matter anymore. Their education, although it's good, it didn't matter anymore. Their study of the stars and the moon or whatever didn't matter anymore. Their prestige didn't matter. What mattered was they found Jesus. And they rejoiced with great joy. They saw that star. They were excited about finding the Christ child. They worshiped. They worshiped. Worship comes from a word meaning applying worth to someone or something. They gave worth and value to Jesus. They praised, gave, gave him glory, gave him honor, gave him respect. Jesus was worth it. They were unhindered. They were unashamed. And they were unafraid. Come on, those three words are really important. They were unhindered. They were unashamed. And they were unafraid. 
And for most of us, before we come to Christ, we are hindered and kind of shameful and we're afraid to be expressive. But when Christ becomes real, we're unhindered, we're unashamed, and we're unafraid to worship God. And so the bottom line is, when I read about these magi, I'm excited that the magi are in the story. Because in spite of all that they had, they still had to find Jesus. And they did. They weren't so proud they couldn't accept the fact this is the Christ. Their money didn't blind them. Their things didn't blind them. Their, who they were didn't blind them. They just came as they were and found the Christ child. So true worship only comes when we worship God alone and we reserve a space, a space in our heart, and in our life for him. Listen, we can't worship our status. We can't worship our money. We can't worship our reputation. We can't uh, worship our significant other. We can't worship the degrees on our wall. We can't worship our homes or our second home or our cars or our vacation or the money in the bank. John 4 tells us, the time is coming and now is when true worshipers, and in the context, he's saying they won't worship in Jerusalem or at Jacob's well, but true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth because the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not your stuff. It's your spirit that God wants. So true worship only comes when we are humbled before God and recognize he is the one. He is the savior of the world and he loves me. And I worship him and bow down before him. In conclusion, the magi in the story are important. Let me reiterate this. Get your education. Get your training. Go to vocational school, whatever you can do. Get prepared for life. You have to. It's important. Be skilled. Be at the top of your game in your profession. Be good at what you do. Make the Lord proud of you. When I worked in the prison many years ago, I tried to be the, I was a vocational rehab counselor. I helped these inmates discover their vocational talents and skills and get them lined up with a job outside. That's what I did. But I tried to be the best one I could be anyway because I think that reflects upon the God that we serve too. Go for it. Live life to the fullest. Be a Moses or a Paul or whatever, a Nicodemus or a Joseph or Cornelius or a Lydia. Lydia was in the secular realm dealing with fabrics and she was at the top of her game but she came to know Jesus God's not intimidated by your education or wealth or prestige in fact he provides it (laughs) faith is our only hope no matter what you have or don't have and true worship will only come when you get alone with Jesus Christ and recognize that the Christmas story is for you Absolutely, it's for you and your household. Let's stand together if we can.
Magi in the story. Hallelujah. I want to proclaim that to all of America. <laughs> and there's shepherds in the story too. Verse number 11. Can we read it together? Kind of a long verse, but we'll read it together. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's read it one more time. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. Every head bowed for just a moment. Everyone online, just take a moment. If you want a response, write us a comment. I'll check it out later. But the greatest gift we can give the Lord, it's not gold, it's not frankincense, and it's not myrrh. The greatest gift we can give to the Lord is our heart. 100%. So we celebrate Christmas and we, you know, we follow God's example. He gave his gift to the world. We give gifts to one another. Wouldn't it be great this Christmas to give a gift to the Lord? Give our heart to the Lord? Maybe there's a couple of areas of your lives that are not consecrated to, oh, you love God and you're you're serving God. But you know there's some pockets of things that are undone in your life. Isn't it about time to give that up to the Lord? Give him a gift back. It'll be better than gold or frankincense or myrrh. And I wonder if others are contemplating, what can I do for the Lord? What are my talents? What are my skills? What what have I accomplished in life? I'm sure the Lord has something for you to do in the kingdom of God. Seek the Lord for what you can do in the kingdom of God. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if this is you. And I won't call you up here. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone here today that it's a week before Christmas? Christmas may bring all sorts of emotions into your mind and spirit, but you just want to be recognized. You need need God's help to see you through these days. See a couple of hands already. I just need God's help because it's a spiritual battle for me. All right, man, a lot of people. Very good. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, thank you so much for including not only shepherds in the story, but magi in the story. You covered all of us. We praise you for that. And Lord, we want to close out this service just for to have prayer again for anyone that's homesick, struggling physically, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually. Bring your healing power and anointing to those that need it, whether they're kids or adults, either way. Bring healing, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, this is December 18th. Next Sunday is Christmas Day. Lord, a lot's going to happen this week. A lot of hustle and bustle. Probably a lot of last-minute shopping. Maybe baking and cooking for some. A lot of running around. But a lot of emotions are getting stirred up as well as we remember this time of year in years past. Or maybe this year there's other complications involved in our families that are going to bring out some issues as we celebrate this great day. Father, we pray that your peace would prevail. We pray, Lord, as the angel sang that day in Luke 2, 
that there would, be, there would be glory to God in heaven, but on earth there would be peace, that there would be goodwill towards one another on earth because of Christ's coming. We pray, Lord, that as your sons and daughters, we would be filled with your peace in spite of our circumstances and filled with the, the zeal to do some good works, to spread the, the Christmas cheer that Jesus has come to bring peace between sinful humanity and a holy God. So, Lord, for anyone struggling with relationships or money or work issues, whatever, we just pray for your peace and your provision to be there. And, Lord, may this week be a great week. We pray your blessing over our Christmas Eve service and our Christmas Day service. But throughout this week, let us all sense your presence in a very real and powerful way. We thank you. And we praise you for this now. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Welcome back up here, kids. Have a great week. Join us tonight at 6 for the live stream. We'll be back on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as usual. Christmas Eve is at 4 o'clock. God bless you.